Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. It is indeed a good evening. I trust you have had a, a good day. I was just really uh, blessed and touched with that, with the songs we sang, particularly the last one, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's a great message. Just meditate on that. Great is thy faithfulness. It's awesome. Paul writes in Timothy that though we deny him, he cannot deny himself. <laughs> he is faithful and he does not change. There is no shadow of turning with the Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Great is thy faithfulness. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. He is our peace. What a mighty God we serve. you've had a good day. I had a good day. I want to relate to you a, a story. And I was blessed by what you shared with us, brother. I'm not here to say something new. I'm blessed by that. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Tell me the old, old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. There's not a greater story to be told. There was once a young couple, they were married, and they wanted to have children. And God blessed the union with children. They had two little boys born into the family. And this family, lived in a beautiful place. And on a farm. And the fields were productive, fruitful. With the grains that they grew. And it was a very happy family. And I can picture in my mind this family. Maybe the geography was similar to here, kind of rolling. Fertile valleys, fields, and summertime, the wheat 
golden green reflecting off the sun and just look gorgeous. And the father goes about his duties and the boys growing up playing outside. I can picture the father hanging a swing from the tree and maybe a swing on one side and a sandbox on the other side. Little boys swing for a while and then they play in the sandbox for a while. And then they get tired of that and they head for the barn and they put the saddle on the little pony. And they ride the pony around the pasture for a while. And when they get tired of that, they say, hey, it's time for a snack. And they head in to see Mama. And Mama says, boy, you boys look hot. And how about some Kool-Aid? Or maybe some chocolate milk. Have a seat at the table here, and Mama gets the chocolate milk and the Kool-Aid and the cookies. They enjoy a nice little snack. They're just a happy little family. And the blessing of God is resting on this little family. And they're enjoying it. And then one year, something different happens. The rains don't come. And doesn't come, and doesn't come. And the crops start drying up, withering away. And the brook, a little creek running through the meadow, starts drying up. And mom and daddy start worrying, what are we going to do? We have bills to pay, we have to make a living, and things aren't growing. things began to wither up and the dad looking around sensing his responsibility to provide for the family begins looking around and would you believe he finds something that looks better in a neighboring country and he decides I'm going to that country things look green he says I'm taking my family and moving to this country have you ever heard the phrase the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. He thought it looked greener on the other side of the fence. I told you last evening that I make my livelihood by lawn care. And it was interesting to me to notice someone else in the area that we cross paths with and we've met and talked but can you guess what's on the side of his truck as an advertisement the other side of the fence <laughs> and he drives around the community that we work in the other side of the fence 
Well, his father decided to move to the other side of the fence. He didn't intend to stay there for very long. But things didn't go like he planned. Has that ever happened to you on a personal level? Things are not working out here. Things not looking very green anymore. Things are becoming dry. It's time to go somewhere else. If you would, at this point, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. And I would like to read chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, in the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malan and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope. If I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, Thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, 
I will go. And whither and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Thank you for following in that lengthy reading. I would just like to, as Brother David reminded us, remind us of the old story, okay? But to me, if it's okay, I trust I can just be personal with you at times doing some of the messages as God leads. I was a number of years back And I had a bad back problem, unable to work. And I needed to work to provide for the family. Being laid up was not easy. But during that time, God shared with me what I feel him leading me at least presently, to share with you. And some of the things in this story to me are very personal. But it also blessed me as I realized the reality, the picture God was trying to give me. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. I'm not totally sure about coming evenings, but as of now, I'm feeling inclined to continue in the book of Ruth. And I would invite you, if you can, each day or at night, read a chapter or the remaining chapters in the book of Ruth. I think it will help you to understand a bit of what is happening or being said. As we look at this little family, this tremendous little family, Notice here the names. I want to call attention to these names. 
And I'm aware that depending on what resources you use, there can be a variety of names given. But these are some of the meanings of these names. And they bless me as I became aware of these meanings of these names. Elimelech, God is king. Okay? Elimelech, God is king. Naomi, pleasant. Okay? Pleasant. How many of you enjoy being in an atmosphere or an attitude, a mood that is pleasant? And where God is king, it's pleasant. Psalm 16, 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Naomi, pleasant. Malon, song, where God is king, a pleasant atmosphere, attitude, disposition, and you break out in song. Singing praises to the king. And Kilion, complete or purposeful. Does that bless you? God is king. It's a pleasant place to be. And they're singing, expressing the joy. And there's a sense of purpose, completeness, or fulfillment in that environment. And notice where they lived. Bethlehem. The house of bread. The house of bread. Can you picture a more blessed place to be and a more blessed place to live than in the house of bread? That's where they lived. But it says, this was in the days of the judges. And if you read in the book of Judges, what do you find? You find the children of Israel walking with God and walking away from God and repenting and walking with God and walking away from God time after time after time. And it says in the days of the judges there was a famine in the land which in my mind I jumped to Second Chronicles chapter 7 where Solomon said God, if you see necessary to bring discipline to your children. And I want to point out, there is a vast difference between punishment and discipline. I want to keep that, try to keep that clear in our minds. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. And Solomon said, if you see necessary to bring discipline to your children, to teach them, disciple or discipline means to be taught. And if you see that's needful by sending a famine or pestilence or some other calamity, if your people... Turn to you, to this place. Will you honor their prayer? And God answered Solomon said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So in this place called Bethlehem, 
where this happy little family is living, there comes a time when the people of God are walking away from God and there's a famine, a famine. And what does God say? If that happens, what does he want his people to do? Humble themselves and seek his face and say, why? What are you teaching us? Then will I hear from heaven. And did God say, go to the country of Moab if there's a family? No. God did not say that. God said, humble yourself and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked way. And this father says, things are dry here. Things are barren. Things are dead and dying. I'm going somewhere else. I'm out of here. You get the point? In a home. That can be sons and daughters saying, it's dead, it's dry in this house. I want something exciting. I want something that does something for me. It's dry and dead. I'm out of here. Or a marriage. Love has grown cold. Indifferent. Lukewarm between the husband and the wife. One or the other. It's dry here. It's not green anymore. I'm out of here. My sister's neighbor at home, two, three sons in their teens, without warning, without notice. Husband says, I'm out of here. Divorces her. How about our church? Try. I'm out of here. I'm going to Moab. Remember the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? Dad, I'm tired of being in this place. Give me the portion of goods that belongs to me. I'm out of here. And his dad divided to him the portion belonged to him. And he went into a far country. Somewhere I read that perhaps Naomi could be called the prodigal daughter of the Old Testament. Or maybe a more modern term might be a renegade daughter and a renegade son. Things are too dry. I'm out of here. They go into Moab. Just for a sojourn, brother and sister, when individuals sin, when we sin, and we draw the limitations of our obedience and commitment to God and to each other, when we sin, do we not have the mentality similar to this? I wonder what that's like. I'm just going to try it once. Once. See, you're not intentionally planning on living there like Illuminate for 10 years. The mentality is I'm just going to sojourn. 
see, sojourn. I'm just going to take a little portion. Just something a little more exciting than the dry famine where I'm at. And there's a lot of different scenarios a principle can be applied to. Here this family goes. And it's not long till God ceases to be king. Get the point? God ceases to be king. And when God ceases to be king, it's not long till you lose your song. Your song dies. I remember meeting a brother miles away from home. Miles away from Virginia. I had not seen for years and years. And I was in my cousin's woodworking shop. And unbeknownst to me, this brother worked for my cousin in that state. And I told my cousin I haven't seen him for years. I'd love to see him. And I don't know, he or his wife called him. And minutes later, there he was standing. What a blessing to see this brother again. We just shared, you know what he told me? He said, Donnie, I'll just relate the story briefly. But he had arranged for a job for his son-in-law logging in another state for the winter. And during that winter, at work logging, his son-in-law was killed. Tree fell on him, or log, killed him. And he moved from the state that that happened in into the state where his daughter lived in to help her care for her children. And now the youngest child was married. He said, Donnie, I'm not sure what I'm going to do now. But he said, you know what happened? I blamed myself for my son-in-law's death, and I kind of blamed God. I got bitter at God. He said, Donnie, I lost my song. Has anybody told you that? I lost my song. And he said... I wasn't sure what was wrong. And he said, we had meetings. And I told the ministers that were there for the meetings, I've lost my song. And they said, you pray and ask the Lord and see what he tells you. And he said, I did. And God showed me. See, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, God showed him you are bitter at me for doing what I did. And he said, at first I thought, oh, awful, terrible. How can I be bitter at God? But then he said, I acknowledged the truth. And I repented. I confessed it. And he said, Donnie, I got my song back. I couldn't help it. That brother was from another denomination, if you please. I couldn't help it. I gave him a hug. We hugged each other. You see, when God ceases to be king, we lose our song. And it's not long after we lose our sense of completeness, our sense of fulfillment and purpose. Because we're focusing on self and we are not living as God intended us to. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. And in this story, brother and sister, I see so many 
the attributes of God manifested and displayed and put into action. And as we go along, I may refer to some of them. But here I see the love of God. The love of God. And the implication here, it says there were two things, or I'd like to put it this way, there were two things that caused Ruth or Naomi to make the decision to go back to Bethlehem after 10 years. Her husband had died and her two sons had died. Here she was, a Jew, in the midst of a Gentile nation, in the midst of a Gentile culture. Different race, different culture. And she says, I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to my God. Why? We read the last part of verse 6. Excuse me. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Brother and sister, I see revival in that. Can you see revival in that? He had visited his people in giving them bread. To me, I go back again to Chronicles. Someone in Bethlehem was humbling themselves. Someone was seeking the face of God. Someone turned from their wicked ways. And someone experienced the forgiveness of sins. And the town again experienced revival. That is life. The Lord visited the people in giving them bread. Bread is life. You don't have bread, you don't have life. Well, somebody was repenting. And the Lord visited his people in giving them bread. And Naomi says, it's not so green here after all. I'd love to go back there. The same similar motivation I see that Jesus tried to paint in his lesson on the prodigal son. Prodigal son goes out to a far country different culture, different people, and there wastes his life with riotous living. And he got so low that he wanted to eat what the hogs were eating. He got hungry. Do you think Naomi was hungry in Moab? I think she was hungry. And do you think she had a longing to again Know the God of her youth? I think so. And do you think the same longing was in this young boy's heart in the pig pen? A longing for the relationship with his father? You know what he said? Very same similar principle. The servants of my father are better off than I am as a son. I'm a son and I'm in the pig pen. My father's servants are full and healthy and fed. They're not hungering and they're not feeding pigs. And when he came to himself, he said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's what Naomi did. She said, 
I'm going to arise. I'm going back to my God. I'm going back to my people. And I think there she repented. And it blessed me as I saw this. I just like to title this message tonight, The Sinner's God. The Sinner's God. Brother and sister, God is the sinner's God. Yes, he is. And I believe there in the country of Moab, just like the prodigal in that pen, he repented. Repentance means to change your mind. You remember? I think it's Matthew 25. Jesus gave a definition of repentance. When he said the father had two sons, and he said to the one, you go work in the field. And the son said, I'll go. And he said to the other one, you go work. And he said, I won't do it. Afterward, he repented and went. And the one that said he would didn't. And Jesus said, which one did the will of his father? The one that said he would not go, but changed his mind and went. He changed his mind. And there in Moab, Naomi changed her mind. And there in the pig pen, the prodigal changed his mind. And there is a difference. And this blessed me. Naomi brought a convert. Naomi brought a convert. Along with her. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or studied on it. What prompted or what came into play to move this Gentile girl to follow this Jewish mother-in-law to a strange people and a strange culture and a different God? Now, I'm not dogmatic on this, okay? I just like to run the possibility by you. I tend to think it had something to do with Naomi's tears of repentance. I think Naomi wept. We read they wept. I think it had something to do with Naomi's tears of repentance. And as Naomi knelt down, pouring out her heart, turning in her heart back to God. Tears of repentance flowing down and she verbalizing, God, I'm sorry I ever left Bethlehem, a house of bread. I repent. I'm sorry. And as she repented, can you picture perhaps Ruth, an observer, a listener? I don't know for sure. I just see it as a possibility. And it seems Ruth says, what's going on? And she draws a little closer. And somehow the shadow of the sinner's God falls over her. Do you know what I mean by that? How many of you have been out in the yard, a little boy, little girl? And here comes a Piper Cub plane. You look out in the, in the yard and, and you see the shadow of this plane. And you challenge your brother, hey, let's catch it. Right? And you, and you see it coming yonder and you run out. And first thing you know, passes over you, that shadow. The shadow of the sinner's God. And sensing the sinner's God. And there's something about the sinner's God that draws sinners to himself. 
And as Naomi repents, Ruth is drawn and she says, I've got the same sins that Naomi does. She's no different than I am. I'm not sure what all sins Naomi may have confessed. But I just see this as a possibility. As she's there repenting, she says, if there's a God that can forgive sins like that, then there's hope for me because I'm one of those. I'm one of those. I've got those same problems. I've got those same sins. I've got those same failures. And if there's hope for her, then there's hope for me. You know what I'm talking about? And she says, that God is going to be my God. And if there is a people that is walking with this God, I'm going to walk with that people. Don't ask me to leave. I've made up my mind. I'm going with you to become better acquainted with you. Brother and sister, to be better acquainted with your God. Your God is going to be my God and your people are going to be my people and where you go, that's where I'm going. That's fellowship. That's oneness. That's unity. And I'd just like briefly and quickly to remind us of the reality of the country of Moab. The country of Moab. There is a king in Moab. I'd like to just ask you, did this king do anything at all for this family? We don't read this king did anything for this family. I don't think he really cared. They're immigrants, okay? The king of Moab. I don't nearly have the time to give to this portion that I would like. But this king of Moab is representative of the devil. Ephesians 2 tells us the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I'd like for you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 2 and just see that with your eyes. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There is a spirit at work in this world, and it is dominated and controlled and kept in motion by the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Turn over several pages to Ephesians 6. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a real devil. There is a real Satan. You read in Revelation chapter 12 that there was war in heaven. And you can read the five eye wills of Satan in Isaiah chapter 14. The five eye wills of Satan. I will ascend into 
the mount. I will exalt my throne above the throne of the Most High. The five I wills. And we read in Ezekiel chapter 28 in connection there it uses the term Lucifer. And it says he was perfect in the day he was created till iniquity was found in him. And his heart was lifted up with pride. And we read back again to Revelation 12. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought and this happened in heaven. And it says the devil fought and his angels. This dragon fought in heaven. Can you picture such a thing? In heaven, the war. And it says that the devil was cast out. Turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, notice, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Notice verse 10, what he does. He accuses the brethren before our God day and night. Notice verse 12. He has come down unto you having great wrath. The king of Moab, this Satan, this devil, has great wrath. He is an accuser of the brethren. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. In John 8 verse 44 Jesus says. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh. He speaketh a lie. In other words. It's impossible for Satan to lie. To, to be truthful. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, I wanted to come to you time and again, but Satan hindered us. He is a deceiver, an accuser. He has great wrath. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, The God of this world blinds the minds of those that do not believe. Look at what he does. Horrific, devastating work. John 10 verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 about the serpent coming. We read, have read in Revelation about this serpent. And we read in Job chapter 41 about this, this dragon. And we read there, to me, that is a spiritual description of the God of this world, Satan. You read the, the things that happen there that go on in, in, in Job 41. He laugheth at the shaking of the spear. His heart is as firm as another millstone, hard-hearted. No pity, no mercy, no love, no compassion. And the list can go on. Hard-hearted. He doesn't care how many souls he damns to hell for an eternity. Not one iota. The more he can drag there with him, the happier he is. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones don't faze him. And then it says this. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. Does that sound like Isaiah 58? The wicked are like the troubled sea whose waters cast up mire and dirt. We can read in Romans chapter 1 the list of the products, if you want to term it that way, that this king puts out. Horrible. And we read about it, Galatians chapter 5. And we read about it, 2 Timothy chapter 3. No, in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. Proud, boasters, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It's the God of this world. It's Satan's work. 
and it's devastating. And back to Job chapter 41, we read, he spread a sharp pointed things upon the mire. How many of you have ever stepped in a nail? Hmm? I'd like for you to think a little bit, okay? Sometimes we don't always think this through. What is one of the first things you do when you step on a nail? And there can be different answers. Do you say how? What do you do? Get off. Get off. Amen. And how do you get off? And how do you get off quickly? I'm trying to make a point. It's the reality of Satan's work. Mire is what? He spread his sharp pointed things on the mire. Mire is like mud. In other words, it's not solid. Okay? I'm told when a man hits quicksand, the more he moves, the faster he sinks. Okay, sharp pointed thing. You step on a nail. You transfer your weight to the opposite foot, right? Because there's solid footing there, and that eases, but in the mire, there's no easing. You see, there's sharp things, and the more you move, the deeper it penetrates. In other words, sin will take you farther than you want to go, slowly but wholly taking control. And it's real, brothers and sisters, it's real. It's reality. We see it all around us and we see it within us. The power of darkness and sin. The power of Satan. And one of the reasons that I conclude that that portion is referring to Satan is the ending sentence. And God is showing Job this. Remember, context, God is showing Job something. And he says this. He spread a sharp pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He is king over all the children of pride. He is king over all. The children of pride. 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 I want you to think about that word. King over all the children of pride. Galatians 5 said, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, strife, wrath, and such like. And such like. Brother and sister. You want to live in a land like that? You want to have a king like that controlling you? You see, he's a deceiver. And men and women, boys and girls say, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to take my own way. And I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and where I want to do it. And you're not going to stop me. That's pride. And you've got a king. And he is controlling you. You are doing his will. You make that choice. And you are going into that far country. And you are serving him. Consider it. There's only two ways. Two ways. Think about it. Meditate on it. You want to do your own thing? That's what Satan said. I will. I will do my own thing was cast out of heaven remember Peter says 
First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I don't know that much about lions, but I am told that sometimes the older lion maybe has no longer the energy to pounce like he did when he was young, but he has the power to roar. And when the prey is unsuspecting, he lets out a mighty roar. And the younger lions, still in their youth and energy, do the pouncing. I think there's a similarity. That roar brings fear. Where did it come from? And Satan's hosts of darkness take advantage of that fear. Hebrews chapter 2 says who through fear were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Satan works through fear to bring people to bondage. One of the tactics he uses. Fear. You want him to be your king, brother and sister. Count the cost. Count the cost. You want to serve sin, serve Satan, serve self, serve the world. Tremendous cost. Have him be your king. I hope not. I don't know any of your condition here tonight. I just want to be clear before God in these messages. When I leave this place, I have done what God wanted me to do here and now. That's my, that's my longing. God, you brought me here. God, I want your will to be done. It's not about me. It's about him. It's all about him and you. You and him. Have you wandered far away from God? I don't know what your far country is. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's resentful. Maybe it's unforgiveness. But it's a far country. And you're experiencing a famine. There's dryness in your soul. Amos 8.11 talks about a famine. Not of bread, physical, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Is that famine in your soul? Are you walking with Jesus? Or is there dryness? If there is, there's a sinner's God waiting for you longing for you. He wants to cover you and me. He wants us to come back. He wants us to come back so bad that he brings discipline into our lives. Brother and sister, study Psalm 107 and you see the loving kindness of God. You see the grace of God. You see the goodness of God. And I take it from that Psalm, it's universal. It's universal. Four times we read in that chapter, men in various distresses, then they cried unto the Lord in their stress, in their distress, and he heard their cry and delivered them. And four times, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. And you read the condition of those. There are those that were hungry, then they cried to the Lord. There's those that were sitting in darkness, then they cried unto the Lord. And there's those that were fools because of their transgression and their iniquities, then they cried unto the Lord. And there's those that were out on the ocean, tossed to and fro, and they came to their wit's end, then they cried unto the Lord. And the Lord heard and delivered them. Are you here tonight and you're at wit's end? 
Are you here tonight and you're in a famine? Then I want to invite you to take the steps that Naomi and the prodigal son took. You can change your mind. You can say, I will arise and go. I will arise and go. And brother and sister, I want to point this out. Closing verses of chapter 1 of Ruth. They came back with nothing. I went out full. The Lord hath brought me home empty. The prodigal son could have said, I went out full with a big bag of money. I came back empty. Nothing. You see, the sinner's God is the God for the sinner who's flat broke. Okay? The sinner's God is the God for the sinner who's flat broke. He comes back with nothing. Naomi said, I came back empty. Empty. Is that you tonight? I want to invite you. If that's you, the sinner's God is desiring for you to come. You don't have to stay empty. You don't have to continue having nothing. Okay? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Can you hear the echo of this poem or song? Made by this family, made by the prodigal son, and maybe the echo of your own heart. If there ever were dreams that were lofty and noble, those were my dreams at the start. And the hopes for life's best were the hopes that I harbored deep down in my heart. But my dreams turned to ashes my castles all crumbled. My fortune turned to loss. So I wrapped it all in the rags of my life. And I laid it at the cross. Beautiful. At the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light. I'm going to close with that. But I want to invite you, brother and sister. Have you been in the far off country? And come to the Savior of sinners. Sinners like us. Praise God. We can come. Jesus says, come unto me. I want to give you that invitation. Let's stand for a prayer.